0: What's up everyone, thanks for tuning in Asian Bitches Done Under, a podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian dinosaurs in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show via Apple, Google or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a 5-star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me A Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode.
1: Hey, all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian is down under specifically in the east coast of Australia, probably the most populated p- part of Australia um, in the state of New South Wales um, and we have uh, entered re-entered this part of the world into uh, flooding and torrential rain. <laughs> Helen, yeah, again <laughs> <laughs> again.
0: Yeah. Yes. Like and, um, four days had- of sunshine, and then last night. Well, actually, I think it's yeah. the night before. I think Sydney went into like a total flood zone again. Not the whole yeah, Sydney, um, but a lot of suburbs. So I. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know how you say to people never drive during flooding. Mm-hmm. So like I drove someplace. <laughs> I think to get my hair done on uh-huh. Monday, and there was a lot of rain. And I think on Stanmore Road at some point there was quite a dip in the road Oh okay. and uh-huh. uh, i actually remember thinking shit this is the moment when helen's like don't drive through it don't drive through <laughs> it but everyone was driving through it and so i drove through it and my car is small i have a fiat 500 <laughs> and so like i went really slowly i went really slowly because i'm like oh, this is really okay. scary so like that was quite kind of confronting but um yeah but you know with a physics physics theory if you go slow you're most
0: likely to get stuck Really? Yeah, oh, my you don't God, have I did know that. If you don't have the – I don't know. It, they, there might be scientists out there who's going to disagree oh, with okay. me. But I always feel like if you go too slow and the water is very deep,
1: oh, going to, you're most
0: likely going to get stuck because your wheels were just being
1: forced oh.
0: slower. and To work to, harder? Yeah, to,
1: oh, right. Okay, okay. Well, it was kind of like only a few metres. But um, few I meters. went really slowly. <laughs> yeah. No, as in, not the depth, as in like the, the, the length Lazy. of the flooded part of the lane um, was only a few meters. But I went slowly because, like, I was like, um, it seemed like I might actually create a lot of sort of waves if mm-hmm. I didn't go slow. Mm. And everyone was going slowly, okay. but that was quite quite terrifying. I'd, prob- I'd say that was probably the deepest water I've ever driven through. Mm. Um, thank God my Fiat is reliable. Won't be doing that again. So, Helen, I've actually um, reduced the number of bar classes I've been to this week because, like, I just didn't want to drive outside. And also yes. because um, I've read from headlines um, people, like, uh, SES people, saying don't go out if you don't need to because it's just a right. bit dangerous out there. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: How's it up there in the coast for you?
0: Um, we, I'm actually having a bit of sunlight at the moment, but we have patches of rain throughout the night and this morning as well, when I was thinking that if I should take my dogs out for a walk and then you start just, Mm. it just started pouring very, very hard.
1: Yeah. 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 Because I was
0: planning to go for a walk while listening to the piece of the essay that we'll be talking about today. Talking about. The one from Vanity Fair. Um, yeah, by May Jong. Yeah, so we'll come to that a little bit later. Um, yep. Let's start with our cultural consumption this week. Yeah.
1: So how about we start with the finally the, the series <laughs> that Jessie too has been talking about for, for, for ages, and she's just like completely unable, incapable of finishing because the last episode is so slow. Okay. So obviously, guys, we're talking about pieces of her, the one starring Tony um, Tony Collette. Collette, and it landed a few months ago, and I started watching it because I, a few months ago, Jesse too, speaking, (laughs) um, I got into, I don't know why I'm speaking in third person today. Um, I kind of started getting into a craze fan period of like book to TV adaptations. adaptations. Yeah, yeah. I'm really fascinated by how they do it. I've always been fascinated by how they turn books into uh, cinema or TV. Yes. Yeah, and so Pieces of her is a book by Sarah, Sarah Alderson, I think. No, maybe Sarah Alderson. No, Karen Slaughter. Karen Slaughter is who I'm talking about. And um, so Pieces of her is like a part series um, and it's like a, a – Novel about a woman who discovers her mum has secret history past that is like mm-hmm. kind of hidden. Like her mum's actually got a double identity. Uh, Tony Collette is the main star of it, and P- La Helen too is am- is amazing because like I told her about this series, <laughs> and then within two days she finished it. Whereas like, not I, two days. I, uh, okay. Whereas You're me, <laughs> slow, slow and impatient me, um, I had to literally sit down. Um, for six different sittings just for the last episode. Yeah. That's how slow the last episode is. It is so frustrating, the last episode.
0: Yeah. I think th- the the whole series, the first seven episodes did well enough that it will keep yes. you engaged yes. to watch the final Absolutely. episode. But then the final episode was just so slow. Oh my god, I don't it, know. It was what going in the nowhere. I don't know if it's the yeah. same in the book because I haven't read the book yet. But. The final episode was like, oh, is there anything gonna happen? If there's nothing gonna happen, yeah. can you
1: just why am I still I know. it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it just kept dragging on and on and on, and it was really um, just so tedious to go through. That last episode has probably like dragged the whole series down. I have to say, and it was also that
0: um, it made you feel like, oh, is it gonna? The story didn't look doesn't look didn't look like it ended there, but it just yeah, left exactly. it hanging. And that's yeah. it. You know, you don't really see yeah. what's gonna happen afterwards. And I, yeah. I was talking to my husband after watching it. I'm like, "Oh, is that it?" And he says, "Yeah, it doesn't yeah. look like they're having the season two because that's probably where the story
1: ends." Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to know where the story ends in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wanted to know Helen that last scene where the um, Andy, um, her daughter Tony Collette's daughter, and and um, Jane and Jane. Yeah. They're standing at the beach. What <laughs> beach is that? Because like yeah, Helen know. and I, we've laughed about this a lot. Um, so it's set in America, but a lot of it was shot in Sydney. around Helen's yeah, in my, part of the yeah, world,
0: yeah, and, my place. and, and Sydney.
1: <laughs> um, they managed to fob off the idea that um, downtown that um, da- uh, sit- are san francisco is darling harbour (laughs)
0: that
1: was so funny oh my god that was so funny seriously like uh, yeah darling harbour has its moment five 15 minutes of fame
0: maybe less than that it was like two seconds short and we could immediately identify that's not san francisco i know yeah it was amazing it's the iconic site of darling
1: Harbour. i know every city sider will know that um and uh the crab shack yes um, is it was also a restaurant or up in the central coast yeah at we're near where Ocean
0: heaven. Beach I'm yeah. pretty sure it's it's yeah. actually called Margarita Days and I didn't know oh, until nice. my husband looked it up he says um somehow he found an article I think it was like Mary Claire or some sort of
1: uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, real
0: estate website where they talk about you know certain Popular yeah. drama that's shot in around Australia. Austra- Australia and yeah. Pieces of her happens to be one because you know Tony Collette is so popular. Yeah, and the house that they have in the drama where yeah. Jane, the character Tony Collette, plays is actually near the beach that we frequently go. Uh, it's near wow. my Masters yeah. Beach, and I actually yeah, yeah. have the address for it because I don't know why they pu- just published yeah. publicly, you know, pu- published on the website saying that, oh, this is the house that, you know, the drama shot was, was filmed.
1: filmed. Wow. It's so funny.
0: Um, Yeah, so next time when you're up here, maybe we can take a drive. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to yeah, visit absolutely. the house. <laughs>
1: School holidays are coming up. I would love to visit that house. It is pr- quite a beautiful house.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful house because it's back to a lake. Not yeah. a lake. It's more like a
1: lagoon. Like
0: a river? Yeah, lagoon. it's a yeah, lagoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you see a lot of shots in the drama where they walk along the side of yeah, water. The side of- yeah, yeah, exactly. Because so-called yeah. this fictional, what, Bella Bella
1: Bella 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 Bel- Air? Yeah. yeah. Bella Vista. No,
0: not Bella Vista. Bella Vista is oh. when I was there, in Sydney. I think it's Bella yeah. Okay, yeah, Yeah. Apparently it's... Is that an actual place in California? No, no, no. Apparently it's a oh. fictional place. Oh, so right.
1: Okay.
0: It, it's a fictional place which is by the water. Something mm. like that. Mm. So yep, yep. I guess they picked a rather... Maybe, I don't know if it's actually ideal, but I think it might be relatively cheaper to view it yeah. elsewhere yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. Central Coast yeah, compared to in, other in seaside suburbs, seaside, um, yeah. say like
1: Vaucluse. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It is kind of, there is something quite sweet about seeing places that you know in the, I was going to say in the, on the big screen, but it's not on the big screen, just like filmed. You know, mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see it. That's it's right. quite special, I have to say. And in the last episode, my favorite scene was where the scene where Jane goes back into, um, goes into a music store, like a piano store.
0: Oh, yeah, And she plays
1: the piano, yeah. That's
0: right. You know that... Um,
1: and I, I was trying to figure out which piano store that is.
0: We were talking, well, my husband and I, we were constantly trying yeah. to dissect the, <laughs> the place where they... Yeah, the location, <laughs> the location. of each scene. So, I love that. The, the piano store we yeah. are guessing is potentially a piano manufacturer up in um, Newcastle oh.
1: because we know
0: that there's a Australian piano maker family yeah. up in Newcastle so that yeah. could potentially be one of them right. um, and the other one was that um, I don't know if you remember that Andy and Jane had a sort of like a confrontation when the mother and daughter met up after all this Chaos, yeah, in a, in, a, a in a kind of diner yeah yeah, yeah. yeah where is and that? that is the black town <gasps> outdoor cinema if you remember oh, I, really? i'm pretty sure it's a Blacktown outdoor cinema because there's a shot when she's leaving when Jane was leaving in the car yeah and there's a shot of outside where you see her driving off yeah and there are sort of like the portals beside car park yeah Do you yeah. know those kind of connectors where you can yeah. Have a speaker put it into your uh, car while you (laughs) watch the outdoor cinema because that's the only outdoor cinema that I know in Sydney. Yeah. And again, possibly, and I'm just assuming here, uh, Blacktown (laughs) being outside of, you know, Sydney might be a cheaper Cheaper. area. Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
1: I have to say, they did a really great job of making us think it was in America because a lot of the decor was very American. How interesting. Like, this is what I love about seeing. Like, um, I guess, the creativity films. and create. Yeah, yeah, like, who is the person who tries to make sure that everything resembles America? Like, mm-hmm. they need to make sure that the cars are on the left-hand side. Yes. Like they need that they need to make sure. Like they need to be so kind of vigilant in spotting differences between America's kind of aesthetic and Australian's Image. aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. because there nice. are Helen. There are a couple of scenes in the last episode also where Andy is riding her bike through the town. Mm-hmm. And that looked like, like America. That really looked like yeah, America.
0: Yeah, I do wonder where they filmed that. Like, yeah. we keep thinking, like, constantly throughout our time yeah. of watching, since that we know that it is filming in, around in Sydney, yeah. we're constantly trying to f- uh, figure out where yeah. is the spe- specific Speaking- place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Speaking of um, Sydney locations in on TV and big screen, have you heard of the Stan series Bump? Because apparently that's filmed a lot in Sydney. Like, in the inner west of Sydney.
0: I think it's an Australian production, isn't yeah, it, it, is. Is it? Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, it is. And
1: um, I've heard good things about it, but I just, I, I think I feel reluctant to start it because despite it, wanting to see something in my own city, mm-hmm. because um, it seems to glamorize. I don't know, I should watch it before I judge it, but uh, from the trailers, it seems to glamorize um, teenage, teenage pe- pregnancy. pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's,
0: that's my first. I, it's, um, it's kind of
1: like an Australian yeah. Juno. And I'm like, Ugh. I grab onto my collar. Yeah, yeah, I
0: have kind of like conflictual feelings about bump as well. After I watched the the trailer, I'm not quite sure. I think I think I saw it the first time, the trailer, the first time, whether or not it's on ABC or SBS. Yeah. But it just didn't sit right with me. You know, yeah. Like you said, yeah. it feels like it's glamorizing teenage
1: pregnancy. pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. Moving on, um, I watched two movies this week. Okay, tell us very about excited. It. Yeah, so I watched the Batman starring <laughs> Robert Patterson, aka Edward from Twilight. But who knows him from that now? I was actually thinking while I was sitting th- in the cinemas at Dendi for three hours. It's a three-hour uh-huh. film, guys. Yes. Warning: I'm sure you all know that. <laughs> I was actually thinking how amazing it is that somehow Christian Stewart and Robert Patterson have managed to claw their way out of their initial fame from the twilight series like they must have really really good agents that's because like they're never they've never been pigeonholed like I, i don't see ron weasley or Hermione Granger, or even like Daniel Radcliffe, probably Daniel Radcliffe has had the most successful clawing out Mm -hmm. of Harry Potter. But like even Emma Watson, I don't think Emma Watson has had the most spectacular like um acting career since Harry Potter. I feel like she's more an advocate now. She's she's more more of an an activist.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean after Little Woman, I don't. Oh yeah, yeah. she's She's made anything anything. big. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, true. Um. So, um, but that's a choice
0: it's fine for me. yeah exactly so I
1: yeah. I yeah I was just thinking like Robert Patterson like I don't even when I see him now I don't even think of him as Edward you know and okay. like Kristen Stewart is like probably one of the best actors around and she for a long time was only known as Bella from Twilight uh, which by the way I haven't seen I haven't seen the Twilight series yeah so,
0: um, that's not my genre either yeah so, either yeah when, same here when the, when the kids around you know high school were kind of cra- having all this craze about Empires are like oh, yeah I know
1: okay I roll um yeah so this one is um not a Chris Nolan production so oh, we have interesting it's 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 moving really where it's no longer Christian Bale it's no longer um that kind of actiony Chris Nolan-esque
0: okay. kind of
1: um feeling uh-huh. it's I thought it was very much um it was a different kind of feeling um it was very grungy I, and, oh, like, right. it kind of uh, matched uh, Robert Patterson's kind of demeanour. or yeah. the image
0: that he had yeah. created. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so I walked out of the cinema and turned to my partner and said um, that I feel as though um, it's actually, it doesn't feel very hard to play Bruce Wayne because you just have to be very, like, <laughs> morbid and um, kind of dour. You just have to be very dour. And yeah. that's what most of um, what bat, um, Robert Patterson was doing But, I mean, it was a great film. It was very long. I think that my favourite part of this film was definitely um, besides, excuse me, um, Zoe Kravitz as the Catwoman. She plays Catwoman. Mm -hmm. Besides her different kind of hairdos, I'd say the music was the highlight of this movie. Um, The music was absolutely stunning. It was so good. And also, I have to say, it's by the guy who also created the music for Up. You know, the best animated movie ever, Up? Yeah. So he's actually written a lot for Hollywood films. Um, his name's Michael, Michael something Gucceri or something. I think he has an Italian background. And um, okay. Um, besides the stunning music, it's just like the best music I'd, I'd say I've heard in. And I love film music. Um, it was great. Michael
0: music. Giacchino.
1: <clears throat> yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Such amazing soundtrack. Um, I also thought that this film contained the best car chase scene that I've Ooh, ever seen. Oh, so there's your action. It is amazing. It is so uh-huh. good. Like, I was quite riveted by the car chase scene. Yeah. So that's my review of Batman. Um, and then the second film we watched was Spencer, starring Christian Stewart, mm-hmm. which is funny. We saw a movie from both Twilight stars. Um, yeah. oh, so, before you go on to Spencer, yeah. I want to
0: ask you. So after seeing the latest Batman, do you have a preferences of who plays the best?
1: Oh, yeah, um, Christian Bale, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do think Christian superior. Bale yeah. is
0: the best actor to play yeah. Batman because. Yeah, Bruce Wayne. Yeah, th- I think it's just. it's Bruce Wayne is almost a character made for him. Christian Bale? Yeah, yeah I think. Good
1: point. Mm. Yeah,
0: because you know the way that he plays the American cycle, what's the name? Yeah. Patrick, uh, Patrick Bateman. I think yeah, it's yeah. very similar to the attitude and personality of Bruce Wayne. Yeah, you're it's right. It's almost like a diet and, yeah, dark it's and light. dark like a big white
1: yeah. man, yeah. Uh, Spencer was great. Um, it was very weird. That's all I have to say about this film. It was a it's very a, strange It's a movie about dark, psychological. Christmas Diana, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of an imagined take on what sh- her psychology was during the Christmas oh, period of 1991 okay. when uh-huh. she's... Like, apparently, I read a lot about it after I watched the movie. Actually, during our, during the movie, I was Googling. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I was reading the Wikipedia page of Diana Spencer. Because, uh, because, like, I I don't know about you, Helen, but I specifically remember mm-hmm. when and exactly where I was and oh, okay. exactly who was around me and how I found out about Diana's death. Do you remember oh. where you were? <sighs>
0: Very vaguely because I never really follow the royalty oh, family okay. gossip. Yeah, no, i never either. But
1: like that. I remember specifically it um, was Dad watching SBS news, okay. and it was like um, I think it might have even been Anton Enos and another presenter, and the the sort of um, news banner down the bottom of the screen was saying Princess Diana died. That- yeah, in a car crash in Paris. Okay. And um, I just remember being like, wow, this is like super shocking. I don't know. I just feel like um, people were saying. How young she was, and mm-hmm. like, it's always my about dad- her youth, yeah. Of course. Um, and my dad, I remember, said that, um, he thought that it was like a conspiracy, like, um, someone had tried to kill her. And I'm sure, like, yeah. you know, it's immediately,
0: not, um, yeah, there's yeah, a lot you think of it's, conspiracy you know, theories. yeah,
1: you think there's some sort of mal malplay, I guess, mal, what's mm. the word, foul play, foul play, that's it, yeah. Um, mm. but I, I found out last night through Googling that she died when she was 36. Which is Mm. crazy, that is so young. Um, But jumping back to the film, it was um, very strange. It was just like a blend of kind of a thriller esque, um, like long shots, long shots, kind of panning shots behind the character. So we see a lot of backs. Um, We see a lot of Diana kind of, um, apparently she had a a bulimia and she had like, she also Um, self-harmed. All of these things I didn't know about. I mean, I wouldn't be
0: surprised, honestly, with that kind of pressure marrying to the. Oh my God.
1: And also, yeah, and the film, yeah, the film really portrayed the royal family as this psychopathic cult-like (laughs) Um, sort of family yeah it really did not paint them in a good light it made me think that being in the family was like just like hell basically she had no freedom whatsoever it yeah it Mm -hmm. was quite um, oppressive I'd say her existence under the royal family but um Mm -hmm. just focusing back on the film yeah it was very beautiful like the costumes were beautiful I thought Christian Stewart did a great job of, like, Mm -hmm. depicting a British person. Um, She was kind of hard to hear at a lot of points in the film because she kind of, like, gasps and talks very – she whispers a lot.
0: Um, I think that's one of the traits of how Princess Diana speaks Yeah, as well. She Mm. never really had a voice at all, I feel.
1: Well, it was always kind of, like – well, she had voice coaching as well at some point um, yeah. because, yeah, I think you, to be part of the royal family, you have to speak a certain way, right? You have to present yourself in a certain aesthetic. <sighs> it just, yeah, yeah, it absolutely sounds like hell. Yeah. <laughs> Despite all the, like, amazing decor of her sort of situation mm. and her scenario, like she, her bedroom is, like, the size of my apartment. Um, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. But no, it was, I would recommend both films, but I'd probably recommend Bat- The Batman more than Spencer. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Okay, let's take a break.
1: And when we come back, we're going to talk about some pretty heavy stuff, guys. So um, we will see you soon. Okay, so we're back. So, guys, um, you know here at Asian Bitches Down Under, we like to really... Point out the racial fucked upness of the world in which we live, mm. and this week we um, we're going to focus on two articles that have come out about Asian women' experiences and violence. But before we do, we want to highlight um, an incidence of racism from um, an Australian uh, show called The Project. <laughs> yeah, it's a television show. It's on Network Ten, and it's on prime time, so it's at seven pm every night. If you don't, for those who don't know, and basically it's like a Feel good news f- slash comedy uh, lifestyle. show, lifestyle yeah. show. Yeah, I'd say it's like presenters who pretend to be journalists and also pre- also want to be comedians. That's how yeah, I frame it. I think so. They're too, They're like yeah, wanna be journo's then- who have a dying wish to be comedians, but they're not funny. <laughs>
0: That's what I yeah, think. and they also present themselves as. The are Progressive, progressively mm, yeah. woke.
1: I know, and they're I so mean, not. I mean, if you're on television, not, you yeah. are not woke. Can I just say that? <laughs> if you're on television, you're not woke, period. Um, especially primetime television. Yeah, you're right.
0: Uh, okay, yeah. so the project has come under fire after a racist joke aimed at a member of South Korean boy band BTS. Um, we're not a fan of BTS, but it, it the, the incident kind of caught us when we saw the... Um, discussion online
1: yeah so i saw it on twitter
0: yeah so apparently online blacklash spurred by the band's leads of fans leading the hashtag #StopAsianHate to trend on twitter so there was a segment which was aired on the program last sunday used manipulative editing to suggest one of the boy uh, one of the band members had COVID 19 while at the grammys the segment showed the boy band BTS being asked by Grammys host Trevor Noah on how they were feeling, to which they replied, Great. The segment then used the footage of one band member, Kim V. Taehyung, miming into his hand over which the show dabbed cough noises and cartoonish COVID-19 particles coming out from his mouth.
1: Can you um, explain, um, first of all, where... Um this this segment it's a video so we should explain it's a cut edited video piece it's like two two yes, minutes yeah. of the the project trying to sum up the the Grammys what can you happened, explain to me yeah. um I thought it was like um they basically one of one of them were or a few of the members were recovering from COVID is yeah, that right so right, they all okay.
0: say they all confirmed that they are cleared of COVID before they're on the performances right, at the Grammy. Right. But yep. we never really know the truth. But nevertheless, you you don't have the right to manipulatively editing a clip, you know, and make it so like I don't know if you watched the couple of seconds of it, but it's I did, well, it's I did, like I watched the, the whole the, thing. Okay, the yeah, the, the scene the the one of the member was like um
1: singing coughing, and you know how yeah.
0: No, he and, was and, seeing, but there's yeah. a gesture in the performance where he put his hand over his, his hand mouth. over his mouth.
1: Yeah, and it, you know, and the person who edited that footage, um, like Helen said before, he, um, they put in animated COVID nineteen kind of bubbles that coming yeah, out. Yeah, around mouth, to imply yeah. that he had COVID. Yeah, the backlash mm-hmm. online was quite heavy. I have to say, and I'm glad it mm-hmm. was because um, it was really really uncalled for.
0: Yeah, I mean, while we're not fans of BTS, I still find the segment offensive. You know, it after all, it's like a white television show, and I'm not. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm not gonna apologize for saying that because if they had any because cultural is, yeah. awareness, yeah, they would know it is very inappropriate to make such joke. Trying to edit the video by saying that they have COVID, and when out on the street of US, Asians are targeted by racialized hate crimes.
1: Yeah, and yeah, the television
0: production yeah. can create the so-called joke, which is really a microaggression, racist act.
1: Yeah, it was very violent. Yeah, uh, and Asians are very getting violent. both. Yeah, and it was like very it kind of to me it immediately made me think the person who did that who created that video was clearly not asian or clearly not a person of color or just clearly anyone who had any awareness of the cultural sensitivities in which the lives of real experiences of asian people are going through today it's really violent what they did so violent yeah
0: and because they never experienced through sort of, such aggression in their life they find a pathway to make joke around even though i know bts they're po- very popular they're not going to get hurt from that but because yeah. of the image that you're showing on a uh, prime time television
1: yeah
0: and that kind of microaggression is going to continue and perpetuate throughout whoever audience that are, who are watching, watching
1: that. And yeah, 90% it, white people. Yeah, it will be predominantly white again. Also, I'd say like most of the people who are watching the project don't know BTS. Mm. I'd say like most people who watch BTS are like white, middle class or not middle class um, but, like, have absolutely zero knowledge of anything outside of Australia. And so, like, they wouldn't even have even heard of BTS. They will
0: probably that's why they think guy, it's just another Asian yeah, band, Asian and they band, yeah. don't know anything about it. Then, yeah, they that's they why wouldn't that know guy how popular. Who edited
1: the video thought that he could, like, get away with just, like, Make fun making out of fun it. of yeah. one of those uh, stars. Yeah. Um, <sighs> it's just um, perpetuates, I guess, for for the people who watch it. It basically was saying that Asian people and COVID need to be linked. That's what mm. they, he was saying. Uh, and I'm yeah. going to guess he was a guy as well who was the video editor. And to create that link is to really perpetuate the harmful discrimination and of um, Asian people based on what has happened to the world, like the global pandemic. Um, it's just mm. absolutely... It, like insensitive, that word doesn't even cut it. It's just violent what he did. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess moving on from this, what what we wanted to do was like um, basically talk about the um, consequences of what it means to be an Asian woman today. And in particular, we wanted to highlight and talk about, unpack two articles that have recently been published, one by Elaine Xie Chu, who is a journalist, writer, a Taiwanese American, um, who has a book coming out in a few months' time. But this is an article that was published in The Cut. Uh, it talks about her experience with um, racial hate and fetishization as an Asian woman. And the second piece we want to talk about is a Vanity Fair article from Mei Jong an american um korean who is like one of the best journalists out there and before helen and i start we wanted to give a content warning because we're going to be talking about some pretty horrifying incidences of violence and trauma against asian women um so we wanted to just let you know that this is going to be quite a heavy segment and that um we want you to stop at any time you know take a breather i Mm -hmm. personally had to um take step away from elaine xiao chu's uh, article because it was just like so horrifying for me um yeah so um helen do you want to take it away and um explain what this um for article was first
0: yeah so the summary of this essay goes like this elaine begins to uh, reflect on the conversation she overheard of two white men discussing Chinese woman when she was in taiwan years ago teaching english and honestly you know you'll find a lot of obnoxious english speakers doing this in you know non-english speaking countries like talking about the people around there assuming that they don't understand english so the conversation is around how to take Taiwanese woman home to have sex and how there is a certain type of code that they can follow, you know, essentially treating Taiwanese woman like sex robots. And I'm assuming very dehumanized languages were used against the Chinese woman. And in, a t- in an attempt to explore and finding out, you know, the social dynamics around white male, Asian female, she went into like Reddit, which I don't encourage anyone to do.
1: No, she don't, don't do that.
0: Reddit, to look for discussions and people's opinions about, you know, the relationship, the dynamics between white male and Asian female. And, of course, what she saw was definitely not nice, you know, more dehumanised languages about Asian women. And also then she expanded into how those languages of discussion online can eventually turn into realities of violence against Asian women. You know, the range of violence against Asian women that she wrote on her article that... I don't want to repeat it again but you know for anyone who's interested that we have a link on our instagram and also on our show notes but it's just horrific to see that um again it's it's about i think it's about hierarchy as well because we say that all women are equal we're definitely not equal because there is the differences between white female and you know females Of color that we've been treated to. And Asian women.
1: And Asian women. Asian women and also black women as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, Helen, this article, even though I've read countless articles from Asian women about, you know, the the yellow fever, so to speak, um, this Mm -hmm. one really um, was so. It it casts a new light for me in my understanding of this subject matter, which so. Vehemently affects me because I am an Asian woman. But you know that line where she says, We're almost like a different species? And I realized yeah. that that hit me really hard because, like, when it comes to Asian women and sex, there seems to be a different category of porn directed and like sexual fetishization directed to us, like Asian women Mm -hmm. specifically, like like East Asian women, you know. And um, I wanted to say that there was, that really unpacked a lot of for me in my own experiences. I liked the line where she says she's both attracted to white men and disgusted by her attraction. I think for a long time um, before meeting my partner, I was really actively trying to not, date like I, I really tried to interrogate my desires for white people it's not just mm-hmm. white men like I tried to date white women um, they re- like I actually asked just one white woman out and she only wanted to be friends and then I was so rejected that I just never tried dating women again <laughs> <laughs> pathetic I know um, but um uh, I really liked how she the line also another line I liked when she was she said I was constantly made to doubt my own reality Now, that is something that I feel like I've often had to, I felt because I don't really have a lot of Asian women around me besides you and probably like a handful, one or two like Asian female friends. There isn't a lot of, there is, I don't have a large community of Asian women. I can express these kind of discomforting feelings I have around Mm -hmm. my, I guess, my personhood, like my womanhood and also the fact that I'm Asian. It's, like, such a – it's, like, a very specific intersectionality, you know? And, yes. like, I'm talking specifically when it comes to sex, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what is – like, uh, I have to say, like, one time – like, you know how in this article Elaine charts – in the middle of it, she charts a lot of instances when she was heckled or harassed on the street yes. by men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and – they're um, all white. She, yeah, all white men. And there was this one instance – yes, I have – that's good that you point that out – there was one instance when she said she was walking around at night in Toronto, I think it was, and um, a guy in a car, a white guy, stopped over and made some sort of, like, jet call, like, oh, I'll pay you $50 or how something. Much and she, he how much? He asked her, how much, yeah. How much, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And she realised he thought he, she was a... Prostitute. Um, prostitute.
0: Sex. And like, sorry, uh, sex uh, workers. Yeah, yeah sex workers, shouldn't use the word, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, And uh, I I don't know if I've told you this, Helen, but um, a few years ago I went to a very expensive restaurant, a very, like, uh, elite white kind of institution restaurant in Sydney, and I was Mm -hmm. meeting my then partner there, and he was running a little late, and so I went into Mm -hmm. the restaurant by myself. And um, at the foyer part of the restaurant, it was quite crowded. There was about Uh one or two people couples, like, um, groups waiting ahead of me. And there was these two guys in suits. They were obviously finance dudes, probably, like, in their 40s. Mm. I did mention they're white, right? Yeah, they're yeah. white dudes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they turned around they looked at me and they looked at me up and down. They'd, And then they turned back and whispered and then they looked back at me and they were like, oh, would um, would you like to join us at our table? Ew. Like, And, yeah, I was just like – I kind of laughed at first because I was like, what the hell, why would I join you at your table? Like, it's – like, I'm – it's it's like I don't even know you like why are you inviting me and like I yeah. just th- it felt like I've done a lot of thinking about this incident and I think they probably thought I was like an escort or something. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
1: like for them to think I was there just like fishing for Oh you know, yeah. people to try and like I don't know like a western equivalent of a geisha, you know like um mm-hmm. I don't know if they call an escort these days but like a like a <sighs> the hired yeah, something hired girlfriends or something you yeah know?
0: companionship or something yeah, for the it. night yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah. yeah
0: there is certain cultures around which we'll talk about it when we get to the vanity fair piece i think it briefly talked about that companionship in the night life in asia yes
1: yes yes some yes, sort exactly. of like that
0: in the asian you know, society
1: Holding drinks
0: yeah What I thought was quite interesting, what really caught my attention on this piece, um, I'm just going to quickly read out a quote from this piece, kind of highlighted the complexity of the dynamics of white male, Asian female for me, because... What she said here, eight years later, the incident on the train still troubled me. I was living Mm. in New York and writing a novel about Chinese American woman with a complicated relationship to a white man. She is both attracted to them and disgusted by her attraction. In this early version of the novel, my protagonist is married to a white man. Together, they have two children. In an attempt to understand how their children might feel about their relationship, I stumbled upon the subreddit, Harper's. I don't know what I expected to find but certainly not what I did an online community mostly composed of men with an Asian mother and the white father abbreviated as WMAF according to the subreddit WNAF, couples doom their children to mental health issues because they were product of a white worshipping Asian mother and the father with an Asian fetish Believing such pairing were inherently flawed. Members exclusively share posts that upheld this ideology.
1: It scares me. It scares me so much. That was very triggering for me. And I don't even have, like, children. Kids, yeah. But I have a kid that is described. Yeah. yeah, In that that category. category. Yeah, in that category. How does that make you
0: feel? It's really scary. And it's, like, I hope that my kid doesn't go into and join the subreddit in this kind of discussion but also um i but it's the reality as well what she's saying that kids in the in you know the products of white male asian female i'm not saying that it is not true but i know there are a lot of couples there that the asian female is certainly white worshiping and the the white male is fetishizing with asian females and that creates such a power imbalance yeah. in the relationship of those two people as well, and it would pass it down to their kids.
1: Can I say that what the Reddit group obviously we don't agree with it? You know, like obviously, mm. like I believe that there there is and can be, and there currently is, um, like healthy relationships between Asian women and white men, mm-hmm. um, and that the the mental illness of their children that the Reddit subreddit group speak about is absolutely wrong um it's like like there can be healthy relationships between these two groups of people and i don't i I think it was quite harmful for them to say that all children of like um asian mothers and white fathers will suffer from some sort of mental health
0: issues that is so fucked
1: up yeah that's so fucked up
0: yeah it's very fucked up but i can't deny that it is the it is a fact as well because the discussions that i have seen in certain Biracial yeah. uh, children's forums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On they Facebook. would say they would talk about how disrespectful that their white father. Father is. Yeah, yeah. You've said this their to me. Filipino mothers or yeah. how you their had... parents met was <clears throat> just so fucked up.
1: Yeah, you yeah. said to me that often the most racist kind of man is the white man married to an Asian woman. mm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because they already know it's inherently imbalance of. Power and the disparity of the respect that they get—it's very, very different, and it's just yeah, it's really fucked up. And I, I'm hoping that you know it—it's traumatic for those kids as well. You know, you've seen that what we'll be talking about a bit later—you know, violence against Asian women—it just doesn't happen merely on streets by strangers. It happens more frequently through the intimate partners.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing that Elaine says really beautifully in this article is that um, she says that um, when she was doing a lot of the research and collecting of incidences of Asian violence, violence against Asian women, she said this wonderful line how she was like, oh, she felt at moments really unable to continue with her research because it was so emotionally taxing. Mm -hmm. But then she has this one line where she says um, that her discomfort is um, very little price to pay compared to the actual violence and murder that a lot of these women have you know people are actually dead women are actually dead you know so like our Mm -hmm. discomfort is so little compared to that i feel kind of um the older i get the more aware i am of my own identity right and it's sharp i feel more sharpened like i feel like my identity is only sharpening as i age and i feel like i'm actually getting more um careful with my surroundings like the the more i hear about about violence Um, against women and the stuff that happens around around the world like even now when I like walk out of my car I park my car in the garage every single time I get out of the car I I, like race out of the car I never spend any time in the car because I just think some guy's going to come and smash my window open and strangle me so every time the moment I park my car I fucking race out and I fucking like run to the door of the exit of the garage because the garage is like the the prime place where a guy can fucking rape me or kill me or stab me. And like I I'm not joking, every time I'm there by myself, um I think of the feeling of what it would feel like for a man to, to for a man to come and approach me with a knife and like mm. how that knife would feel against my chest. I'm not kidding. Mm like I God. think about that every single time. it's not you a joke. To, and like you and need like, to talk I, to your therapist about it. Oh really? Really? Yeah. I I just think it's like I'm, I'm so – I think about that in order to keep myself safe. And I feel like it's something I can't um, not think about because it's just like it's always on my mind.
0: Because we're living in the body of a woman.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't want to die painfully. Yeah. <laughs> and Our like existence
0: it's, is already, yeah, mind crippling.
1: I can't, yeah, and, I, and oh. I know this is awful and I know this is really heavy, but I keep thinking about um, the woman who was stabbed, um, who, what, like 42 times in New York, like a few, like two months ago, and some homeless guy followed her back to her apartment in Chinatown, right? Oh,
0: yeah, uh-huh.
1: Um, yeah, like yeah. it's actually, and, and he did that because, she, well, they say it's an Asian hate crime, but um I need to think this way because I have no other way of feeling safe I need like I, I don't feel like I will ever feel safe when there are stories like the ones we hear about every day yeah, happening that's you know right.
0: that's very true yeah oh, it's all been very heavy and we'll take another break for now to just take a breather step away <laughs> yeah then we'll come back to talk about the next piece that we want to unpack which is the Vanity Fair one by Mae
1: John Mae yeah <laughs> so we're back um and finally to finish off this episode we want to talk and talk about the vanity fair article from may jong published this month about the atlanta spa shootings which is um coming up just a year ago just just past a year ago so it happened in march last year um where the suspect the 21 year old white man um he traveled to a series of spa um and a beauty um, spa massage clinics in atlanta and shot and killed um eight people uh, eight asian women and this piece was i listened to it on autumn my favorite yep. app in the world um, which reads uh, articles from big publications mm. and um it really i can i just say to listeners it really makes a difference when you have stories told to you like yes. it feels different when yeah. you have a professional actor like tell you that like it really just humanizes the story. It was a long, very long article. It's like just coming up to an hour long article. Mm-hmm. And what she does, May, is um, she kind she really delves deep into the lives of each of the victims, like really deep. She's really done her yeah. research. This is an an exquisite piece. I, of I, I honestly, I like
0: how she chose her word for the title. So the title title is How the Atlanta Spa Shootings, the Victims, the Survivors, Tells a Story of America. It's not just about the shootings, but it's overall reflecting how America, it is such a fucked up (laughs) place (laughs) through the lanes of um, mass shooting, which almost, I feel bad saying this, but sometimes I do feel numb seeing... um, Mm headlines about mass shooting in US because it Mm. just happens so frequently to the point that I don't know if people get used to it because it's so scary that they don't consider human lives worth anymore. It just happens so frequently that there's no changes that has been made in the last Twenty years or so. I mean, you know, one mass shooting happened in Australia, which is I think was almost 20 years ago.
1: i oh, yeah. sorry,
0: 1996. Yeah, Port Arthur. In Port, Port Arthur, Tasmania, and you know, there's a massive change in gun control in Australia. But whereas in US,
1: like, how many
0: lives do you need to die until that they have a I don't know. It's a, a horrifying. Cha- changing the gun control, but
1: it's horrifying. I think for me, the reason why I want to highlight this piece. And the reason why I bring it to attention here on this podcast is because I'm not going to deny the fact that um, this was um, an Asian writer. Mm-hmm. So that, first of all, for me, matters a lot. And I'll tell you why it matters. She centered these victims in a way and she humanized their story mm-hmm. and their humanity in a way that I just haven't seen done by anyone else. And it, and she admits this in the article. She was able to do this and she was able to get into the lives of the family of those affected because she was Asian as well. Like she said, mm. a lot of the victim's family felt like she was one of them. And so they opened up to her. That's right. she, she looked like yeah. them. She was another Asian face, you know? And I was like, this is why we fucking need more like Asian and writers. black and brown. Yeah. yeah. Writers. Just, yeah. Ugh, I'm just so sick of white journalism. <laughs> um, and, but this, 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 I'd say like I was telling Helen before, this is probably the saddest piece of journalism I've ever read. It really made me, quite depressed for a few days after reading it. Like it yeah. really just so, it made me feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go into details because I just don't want this to be a therapy session. But it was, it the, the tremendous thing about this article was it really centres each of the individual lives of those um, people who were shot by this horrible, uh, no, there's no word to describe the perpetrator um, person. And I was left feeling very affected by this story, I'm so glad that this piece exists because it does humanise those women so well in a way and it's so holistic in the way she treats their lives and, you know, how they came to America, Mm -hmm. the divorces they went through, the children they went through. Yes. Um, It was so good. Like it made me feel like, oh, I matter because I'm Asian and my story won't be forgotten if something happens to me. You know, there are other Asian women out there who will humanise me
0: yeah, absolutely agree what you just said. And on that part, I think because she's Asian, the writer is Asian, and you know the families and the friends are w- were willing to open up to her to talk about the victims. And it was just sad to me that, like you said, the w- using the word forgotten because... What we fear the most as a human when we come into the end of our life is that being forgotten, and especially yeah. in Asian culture. Why mm-hmm. we do the worshipping for ancestors? Because yeah, the yeah, ancestors, yeah. They, they worry that they cease to exist in the or minds of the, exactly. yeah, to matter in the lives of the live-ins. Yeah, And also, um, I listened to this piece while I self-consciously told myself that I need to do something while I listen to this piece. So I was going to prepare to walk the dogs, you know, just trying to kind of distract my mind that I don't just sit there and listen and have my emotional, have my emotion brewed up to the point that I couldn't take it anymore. So I was scrubbing the <laughs> bathroom while I listened mm. to this piece. Mm. But it still made me really, really sad, um, especially on the, with the story about Fan <laughs> Daoyou. The yeah. lady who, who whose name was changed to Coco, and where she was, where her story was told about that um, she came from a very poor family, and she worked in the toy factory, and then in Shanghai, and then eventually in US. But she yeah. had to send money back to China yeah. to support like ten people. Yeah, I just by one woman. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if I'm going to choke up for talking about this, but then all this woman had in common was that they came from very a poverty-stricken background. And there has been very, they all went through hardships of whether or not they went through divorce or yeah. they couldn't further their education i think there was one there was one victim that's actually quite smart but because of circumstances that she has to no actually for so i actually know what what really happens to to have those immigrants or asylum seekers or people of color that gone to the that has moved to white countries, even though so if their education is high enough for them to get a better job, they have to yeah. start from the very basic labour intensive sort of work because yeah. of the systemic racism that yeah. in the government that doesn't allow people of colour with high education to pursue the careers they want. Yeah. Um, th- this is kind of like off the trajectory that we're talking about today. But um, I remember once that when I was having like a lunch at a community gathering, and one of the Japanese women said that, Oh, I've got these qualifications back in Japan. And she spoke very, very well English. There's nothing wrong with her um, English. And her qualification is well enough for her to, say, teach primary school in Australia. Mm. But because the qualifications are not approved in Australian gov- for Australian government, she needs to start from the very beginning mm. to do a four-year tertiary education again. She's already almost like in her 40s, so mm. it's just going to be a time waste for her to relearn a lot of things just because something that she's done back in her home country is not approved, say, in Australia or US. Yeah. and another lady at the lunch, you know, very directly pointed out that's just racist. It's a racist system that Australian government creates. Otherwise, why are we seeing, you know, I don't want to say this, but it is the reality. Why are we seeing Indian Uber drivers telling me that they have engineering degrees back at home, but they're in Australia, they can only drive Uber? You don't see... Uh, a white uber driver in pakistan saying that i've got a you know engineering degrees from a white university but i'm here driving uber yeah so there, there is the power imbalance there um coming back to the vanity fair piece i enjoyed uh may john actually it's a bit confusing sometimes in in the this such a long piece because she Inserted a, a bit her of own her story. own story in it, but she doesn't go into the details of saying what actually happened yeah. with her dad. Yeah. Yeah. This quote that I'm about to read out, I thought it was so brilliantly written. Um, mm. She said that I felt I was locked in an ideological battle, my advocating for excavation, my father choosing it's a long word, obsforcation. Ops but now, watching my father's pixelated crying on my iPhone, I was filled with doubt. Only asking questions and writing are violent acts. When doctors inflict pain, it is with a promise of cure. I wasn't sure what I was offering in exchange for dredging the past for its harms. So she was referring to that there's this piece of furniture that she mm. remember from her childhood, but now it does it's not longer exist. So she went to kind of ask her dad about it, but her dad yeah. refuses to open up.
1: Yeah, and he, about, he cried.
0: Yeah, he cried. So it must be such a emotional texting moment for her because you think about it, it's a piece of furniture.
1: Yeah,
0: from your childhood. Yeah. And then you went back and asked your parent about it, and your parent's response was
1: crying, and you're like, "Oh my god, how? What trauma is what trauma is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I thought when I heard that because um for listeners who don't haven't listened to this, and you should listen to the article. You should listen to it on audio autumn. I honestly every time I pick up Autumn mention Autumn, I'm like I should be the advocate for them. <laughs> um, it's basically written in parts, and I think all love there's five parts. There's like or maybe six or seven.
0: There's like oh, different more parts. than that. There's like chapters. Yeah, like, chapters, it's like, exactly. She would and, talk about yeah, the victims. She would talk about the, victims, the yeah. survivors. Yeah. and how much
1: it impacted their yeah. life. And she actually talk And she also talks about the actual incident. Yes. Um, yeah, but one of the chapters she goes, like the hell one Helen's mentioning, she goes into detail about her own feelings about writing about her background as an Asian-American. And like um, and then that line you beautifully quoted, like um, writing is the only act of violence. I felt like when I heard that, I have to say I still remember exactly where I was. I was like walking on the street. I, I won't obviously won't mention which street, but um, I still exactly remember where I was because it really hit me. It hit mm-hmm. me so hard, like, it, and it's true. Um, and I think there will always be mysteries in our parents' past that we won't ever really truly get to, un- not e- not just even understand, but to even know about. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we have to remember that our parents are mm-hmm. humans, just like us. And that, um, I mean, I'm thinking about like whether if my if I ever had like a daughter, for instance, if, if and if she asked me, "Did you ever suffer heartbreak when you were younger?" I don't think I would be, I, I don't know how willing I would be to open up about the absolute sheer horrifying weight of what I went through in my romantic history because I don't think I want to burden her. Mm. I don't want to burden her with um so much pain and perhaps that's why Mei Jong's father doesn't want to open up. It's not just he doesn't want to open up past trauma, but Millions I don't know, maybe. of
0: Asian parents out there. who's yeah. You don't want to burden those
1: ones you love, right? Like, no one owes you a story, even if it's your child or
0: yeah. your parent.
1: Nobody owes you your story. You don't owe anyone um, anything. That, that I think for me, um, unmining trauma is just where therapists come in real well. <laughs> That's why we need therapists.
0: Yeah. I think you really need a third party to go through because it becomes a really, really bad traumatic cycle that it passes down to the kids and then... You see, you know, on forums, on Facebook, where we have a couple of weeks ago when we have Asami came in and talking about generational traumas, yeah, yeah, a lot of things that it is very, very difficult to unpack with the people who are closest to you because on one side, you don't want to burden them and on the other side, that you, you want them to be better in the next generation, but you don't know how. This is where therapists come in. Exactly.
1: I think um, for now, I just... think i'd leave it there because um i've done enough mining today (laughs) and i don't want to make this uh, too excessively heavy and we've reached our hour mark Mm. so um helen for any final words i think it's going
0: back to the the vanity fair piece i highly encourage everyone to read it you know you don't have to be an asian to read it you don't have to be a woman to read it to understand just anyone anyone, you know, without regardless of your background, your experience, go and read it or listen to the piece. It humanizes, you know, the victims life, the things that are pretty much missed in the mainstream news. And I think I'm actually hoping that this kind of article could be translated into say Chinese or Korean so the communities who doesn't who are not familiar with english can read it as well because again a stigma around asian communities for women who work in sex industry are often forgotten or being yeah. stereotyped into not the type of woman that should be cared about and yeah. it's really sad that we don't have enough stories about them i think yeah exactly yeah, so. exactly um Oftentimes I think when I talk about it, it's really hard for people to feel related because again, you know, speaking from our own very, very privileged position, we never had to go through the hardship of most of the victims that I had went through. Yeah. So it is very important to shine a spotlight on their life again, not to be forgotten
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well put.
0: Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple. Remember to give us a five-star rating and we we'll welcome listeners to send us your feedbacks and any topics you would like us to explore. See our updates on our socials and make sure that you share it with your friends to help us to extend the visibility of Asian bitches down under and continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry.
1: And we'll chat to you next week, guys. Bye.